This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we're talking with Courtney Ginder. She is going to be sharing her story as a postpartum depression survivor through the pandemic. Now, for a lot of parents right now, we are headed into and actually in cold and flu season, and it is bringing up a lot of feelings similar, not exactly the same, but similar to what it felt like being so worried about your child's health and your own health. There's a lot going on right now around RSV and colds and flus, and especially for people who are dealing with this concern while pregnant or postpartum, tension is at a high right now with the worry about children becoming sick. And as all of us know, as parents, we worry when our children are sick. But if you're also dealing with some kind of perinatal mental health condition like pregnancy or postpartum depression or anxiety, then of course, things feel even worse. Courtney is going to be talking about her journey through the pandemic. And a lot of you may remember how isolating it felt during that time and how difficult it was for a lot of people to get the help and support they needed. Courtney is a mom, wife, and postpartum depression survivor. She became a mom in February, 2020. And three weeks later, the world shut down in response to COVID. Courtney and her husband were first-time parents cut off from their support network, writing out colic and silent reflux with their newborn daughter on their own. Courtney feels lucky that she was able to get help for her postpartum depression in the midst of the pandemic. And her own experience has made her a passionate advocate for perinatal mental health and making sure that no parent feels alone and to know that they can get better and they can get help. She is a part-time social media and graphics specialist for Postpartum Support International and the social media chair for the Indiana chapter of PSI, a climb leader for the Indianapolis Climb Out of the Darkness, and has raised over $25,000 over two years. She writes her own blog about PPD recovery, parenting, and mood disorders at Beyond Postpartum Depression. I'm sure a lot of you who were pregnant or postpartum during the pandemic or even now can relate to Courtney's story. So let's hear from her. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for being here and coming on to share your story. Yeah, of course. So my story begins, my daughter was born in late February of 2020, Mm. which probably you're thinking some red flags are coming up, some alarm (laughs) bells are going off. That is right before COVID-19 pretty much just turned everything upside down. We had about three weeks of normal parenthood. We were able to have friends over. Mm. We were able to show off our daughter My parents stayed with us for that first week home, so we were able to have some help as we transitioned from just being me and my husband into Mm -hmm. being a family of three. And I remember as my parents were leaving after that first week, my dad said something to the effect of, she's actually a pretty easy baby. I think you'll be okay. (laughs) And Uh 
I know, right? <laughs> Famous last words. And after that week, no one held her besides my husband and I until she was three months old. Mm. She, right around when she was three weeks old, was when we were notified that my husband was going to be working from home indefinitely. Mm. I got a text from him when he was at the office and he said, I'm packing up my things. They're sending me home. We watched press conferences from the governor, from the White House, talking about flattening the curve. I wiped down all of our groceries with disinfecting wipes and wiped down the doors. And anytime my husband left the house to go grocery shopping, he would, I, I would have him shower and change clothes before he held her again. Because mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't know anything about it. We didn't know right. how are you going to, how's it transmitted besides through the air, that yeah. sort of thing. Right. And we didn't know the effect on infants and newborns at that point either. So amidst all of that, at the same time, she's starting to arch her back after feedings Mm -hmm. and scream and cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's starting to have witching hours in the Mm -hmm. evenings. So around five o'clock every evening, she starts crying and she's inconsolable until seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. So all of that, I mean, it's kind of not surprising that (laughs) I ended up developing postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I feel like I had a lot of symptoms that I downplayed even at the beginning. I tried to say it was just my hormones crashing or this is the baby blues that they talked about at the hospital before they let us go home. Mm -hmm. And we had, I remember it was our first pediatrician visit after we'd been released from the hospital. And my husband had te- was talking we were talking on the way home and he's like will you please just text your therapist <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because i was feeling guilty because breastfeeding was not working out the way i had thought it was going to i had mm-hmm. i had wanted it to work we had taken the classes we had i'd practiced all the holds with the baby dolls and <laughs> right <laughs> learned all about it and they the lactation consultant came around at the hospital and checked her latch and everything and said oh it's perfect she looks great but it hurt <laughs> It hurts so bad. And I remember from the class, they're saying, they said, if it's not, if it's done right, it's not supposed to hurt. And I'm like, well, something is not right because this hurts. Mm -hmm. And she cluster fed. My milk didn't come in for probably three or four days Mm post-delivery. So she's Mm -hmm. cluster feeding. Basically, I feel like I can't get her off of me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I know that that has a purpose, but it was very, very emotionally draining on me. Yeah. And I was feeling guilty that I wanted to quit, that I wanted to do formula. And I remember there was one night that my husband held her. I mean, I held her and just cried through an entire feeding because it hurt and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to dread anytime she would chew on her hands and all those little signs of I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. And I just, I cried through an entire middle of the night feeding and my husband took her and was just burped her and held her. And he's just like, this is not worth it. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it is, it is just not, she, we will give her formula. She'll be fine. So I was formula fed and I turned out just fine. Like <laughs> right. you can't tell in the end. <laughs> uh, right. So there was already that kind of guilt and shame that I was feeling from breastfeeding, not working out the way I wanted it to. And I mean, it just felt I felt like I was drowning. Like my husband went back to work after one week and I was absolutely terrified to be home alone with my baby. Yeah. I was just, I was like, can I, can I do everything that I need to do to keep her happy and fed and changed? And I felt like I was just basically stuck on the couch yeah. because eat, wait, wake, eat, sleep, that sort of thing with newborns. Mm-hmm. And they're very, it's very regimented. You have to do it every two to three hours because mm-hmm. they need to eat every two to three hours. But they don't tell you that the clock starts at the beginning of the feed <laughs> and not the end. Yeah, that is <laughs> really true. Yep. It really is. No one tells you that. You think it's at the end, but it's not. And newborns are slow eaters. So it'll take her, it would take her 30 minutes, 45 minutes to finish a bottle. And then I have maybe an hour at the most before she needs we need to do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And she never wanted to be put down. She always wanted to be held. Yeah. And I know that's very normal for newborns, especially in the beginning, because they still think they're a part of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I was just like all of these, all this baby gear that I spent hours when I was pregnant searching and making pros and cons lists. And, oh, this swing detaches and it turns into a rocker. And this pack and play has this attachment on it. And this bouncer has this. 
Like I picked everything after just endless back and forth and research and she wanted none of it. Yikes. She, yeah, exactly. (laughs) She did not want any of it. None of it was good enough. None of it was my arms. Mm -hmm. So I would just like camp myself out on the couch and binge watch the Great British Baking Show on Netflix and just have like (laughs) snacks all around me that I could reach and grab with one hand because I couldn't put her down as soon as I would even if she fell asleep as soon as I would put her down I would lay her down in the pack and play and as soon as she touched that mattress her little eyes would just pop right back open Mm -hmm. again and she would start crying that's rough yes it, it was hard And my husband, even though he's working from home, his department had never had a work from home policy before. So during those early days, they were very, very regimented. Like he had to turn in timesheets. Like this is, this is what I was doing at this time. This is what I was working on. So it was basically like I had to pretend that he was not at home. He was at his office, even though he's just upstairs Mm -hmm. (laughs) in our loft where our desk was. He was only one floor away from me, but I had to pretend he wasn't there because they were very like, you have to, you have to be working because they had never had a work from home policy before. So it was almost like they didn't know if work would actually get done when you're (laughs) working from home. And we know, we all know now that you can still be productive and work from home. Yeah. Yep. So I just, I felt all the time that I was barely keeping my head above water, that I I was just treading water and hoping I wasn't, hoping my legs weren't going to give out on me. Yeah. He would be done for work at the day around 4.30 and come downstairs and take her and I would go upstairs and shower and I would just stand in the shower and just cry because mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't coping very well right. with motherhood. I wasn't enjoying it. Everyone talks about, you know, newborns are they're squishy and they're cuddly and they smell so good and they're adorable. And this is all true. But everyone's also says, Oh, newborns, they just eat, sleep and poop and it's all fine. And I was just like, well, mine's broken because mine doesn't do that. (laughs) Mine, mine just screams all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was, I was thinking mine's broken or the more likely thought in my mind was I am broken. I am not doing well. I am not cut out to be a mother. I am making a mistake or I am doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended painful. up. It's, it's, really, <laughs> it's, a, it's hard. You're already in a really difficult situation. And yes, that be, it's like adding insult to injury. You're, exactly. You're hurting and now you're hurting more. Um, exactly. You feel like inadequate. Exactly. We found out after one particularly rough evening she started crying around probably six or seven o'clock at night. And this was not just regular, her, her regular inconsolable crying. This was, there was pain behind this. Like she is, she was wailing and screaming in pain. And my parents are pharmacists. So we texted them. We were like, what do we do? (laughs) Like she is, she is screaming. There's obviously pain behind this scream. Like we can tell she is uncomfortable. Something is wrong. And they're like, we'll get an appointment, call the pediatrician's office, get an appointment for tomorrow if you can. But in the meantime, give her some Tylenol. And so my husband's like, okay, cool. So he goes up to the cabinet and grabs the infant Tylenol and he goes to get the syringe out and get her. And I said, stop. I was like, I can't do that. What if, I was like, she's so tiny. What if we give her too much and she overdoses and she dies? Mm. And he's like, that's not going to happen. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, like he's like, the syringe, like it tells you exactly how much is on it. Like you can't. <laughs> Right. You can't give her too much. But that was that was the my mind state at that point was okay. I I had all of these very scary thoughts about what happens if blah 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 and she dies. What mm-hmm. happens if I give her too much Tylenol? What happened? We had a very steep staircase mm-hmm. at the time and I know now this is a very common intrusive thought with new moms, but we had a really steep staircase. And so I'd be taking her down the stairs and my the thought would come in like what if you fall down the stairs while you're holding her? Mm-hmm. What if you drop her down the stairs? Mm-hmm. I had thoughts about what if she stops breathing in the middle of the night and you don't know mm-hmm. because you're asleep. I had all of these very scary thoughts of things happening to her along with there's a brand new virus that we know nothing about circulating mm-hmm. out in the world. <laughs> right. right. And it's what getting if- closer and closer. Exactly. What if she gets COVID and she gets sick? What if she gets really sick and has to go in the NICU? Mm -hmm. And what if she's in the NICU and I can't be with her because of visiting restrictions at the hospital? Right. So that's 
all of that, all of those thoughts are just constantly swirling around in my mind on top of you can't, you can't console her. What kind of mother can't console her own baby? What kind of mom are you? Mm -hmm. But we did end up giving her Tylenol that night. I finally was, I just couldn't take the crying anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, that need to have her out of pain overwhelmed that scary thought. And she did end up getting enough Tylenol, getting enough respite so that we could go to sleep. And the next morning we did find out she had silent reflux. Mm -hmm. So instead of she would just like exorcist style force out all of her bottles, like you think of when you think of a reflux baby, she, we could hear it in her throat. Like we could hear the gurgle. Uh And then instead of spitting up, she would swallow it. So she got the acid coming up and Mm -hmm. going back down. Exactly. So, I mean, no wonder she's in pain that Mm -hmm. hurts. Mm -hmm. And we also found out she had thrush, which is really super common in newborns. But my mind said, it's your fault she has thrush because didn't you notice that the white patches on her tongue didn't go away? Like, that's not formula residue. They didn't go away. And then the other thought was, what kind of mother doesn't realize her baby is in pain for weeks and you didn't take her to the pediatrician and find out she had reflux? So instead of feeling relief that we knew we're not making mistakes, there was something Mm -hmm. wrong. There was a medical issue there my mind was blaming me and saying, it's it's your fault. Doubling down on, yes, on not only am I a bad mom, I guess like overarching thought. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. uh, I let her suffer for too long. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, you're what kind of mom doesn't know her baby's in pain, you know, that those kinds of thoughts. But after we got that taken care of, it didn't, it solved the pain and she was able to eat we got her on little on baby pepsid and that solved a lot of issues Mm -hmm. (laughs) she was actually on it until she was almost she was over a year old when we were finally able to get her off of it it lasted for a very long time Mm -hmm. so that took away the pain and she was able to eat but that didn't stop the colic so she is still crying all the time at this is about how many months or weeks this was right around five or six weeks Mm -hmm. so she is if she's not asleep or eating, she was crying. And sometimes we have an exercise ball and we'd bounce on the exercise ball. Or sometimes we'd walk up and down the hallway and bounce her up against my shoulder because colic babies really like movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no idea what it is, but they they like movement. You know, sometimes we'd bicycle her legs, try and get the gas out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we were like, well, maybe she's overstimulated. So we'd take her into her nursery and turn off all the lights and just rock in the dark. We called it factory resetting the baby. <laughs> <laughs> just just take her into a dark room uh, with right. no sound, no light, all no right. stimulation, just rock. And sometimes mm-hmm. that worked. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. There were still times where sometimes absolutely none of it worked. Mm-hmm. Like, and we just rocked and we cried together and I begged her and begged her and begged her to stop crying. There was one time where my husband was like, I'm going to take a shower. It's going to be like 10 minutes max. Like, it'll be okay. And in those 10 minutes, she woke up and started crying and I tried to get her calm. She wasn't hungry. She didn't need her diaper changed. I went through the whole little checklist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and nothing was working. So I was rocking with her in her room and I got very, very overwhelmed. 
Yeah, as you do. Mm-hmm. And so I was lot, like, right? well, I'll, I'll put her in her crib and I'll go out of the room and I'll collect myself and I'll come back and I'll try again. So I put her down and I walked away and I couldn't stay away for more than two minutes because that was when the anxiety kicked in. Right. Was what if something happens to her? Never mind. She's in an empty crib. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she can't even roll over yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. no way she anything is going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. But the anxiety kicked in and was like, you can't leave her by herself. What if something happens to her? And so I'd rush back in and pick her up and she's still screaming and I'd try and settle her down, but I'm still hyped up and I'm still anxious. So I'd try and set her down again and leave. And as soon as I'd leave the room and stand in our room for a couple minutes, it would kick right back in and say, right. you can't leave her by herself. And that went on about three cycles. And finally my husband got out of the shower and it was basically the longest 10 minutes of my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it right. all, it all came to a head about when she was about five weeks old, five and a half weeks old, I was very close to my postpartum appointment. I had woken up before she had, my husband was already working and I was like, I'll do some laundry because even though she didn't have like your stereotypical reflux, she still spit up a lot. So we are all going through multiple outfits a day. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll get caught on some laundry. And our laundry room was upstairs and it was next to my husband's desk. And I'm loading the washer and I hear her down the hall in our bedroom in her bassinet start to cry. She starts to wake up and cry. And in that moment, I was just absolutely broken. And I just collapsed against the washing machine and started sobbing. Mm. And my husband's desk is right next to the laundry room. And he looked in the door and he's like, what is going on? And all I could say was, I I can't do this anymore. Mm. I just can't do it anymore. And so he he immediately told his supervisor, like, I'm taking a day off. I'm taking a pay. I'm taking a sick day. He went and got her, took her downstairs. And he said, go into our room, turn off the lights, turn on the sound machine, just sleep. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got her, just sleep. And I did. And that helped a little bit. I was able to collect my bearings a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when I came downstairs, he's like, will you please, like, call your doctor, talk to your therapist. Like, something is not right. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know what? I'm I'm only, like a week and a half, half a week away from my postpartum appointment. I'll just, I'll just hold on. I can make it. And then I got a call from my OB's office that because of COVID, they were making all postpartum visits virtual. Mm. And that just felt utterly defeating because that was the one thing on the outside world that was about me and not about my baby, but me. Mm -hmm. And that one tether to the outside world had just been cut. And I remember begging that poor receptionist, <laughs> like, like I was coming up with every possible reason they could possibly give me to come in. I was like, I have stitches. Like, you have to check my stitches. I can't check my stitches. I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, please let me come in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, we, can- we can't do that. I'm like, well, I want to get the arm implant birth control. Like, you have to let me in because you mm-hmm. can't do that over the phone. And they were like, nope, that's considered an elective procedure by the health department. And those are not being performed right now because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, I tried everything to get them to let me come in. And it just, they said, because of the pandemic, unless, basically, unless you had a C-section where they had to check your incision, you had to do your visit over the phone. And I, I'm still pretty salty about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, when I did, when I was finally able to see my OB the summer after my daughter was born, when they finally started letting people back into the hospitals and the doctor's offices, she was like, that was not my decision. Yeah. I'm really sorry for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that was some administrative decision that was not, that wasn't made by the doctors. Cause I was like, no doctor would be like, oh, who doesn't need to come see people in person? Postpartum women. Like, <laughs> right. Right. I, sure. I'm Still not sure how we got the short end of the stick on that one, but this is, and when I finally was able to have that six week appointment, even though it was over the phone, that's the part where I feel really very lucky because my OB asked me, even over the phone, she was like, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know what? Not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you could say that out loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, and a lot of that comes from, I was very open about my mental health even before this, mm-hmm. I've lived with anxiety for as long as I can remember. I had PTSD for several years following a sexual assault when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So I've been very open about my mental health. I've 
been on medication for anxiety most of my adult life, mm-hmm. been in therapy most of my adult life. Um, so I was, I was open about my mental health and that, but I mean, even over the phone, like how many moms, because their appointments got made to virtual, right? they were able to cover that up and pretend like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine because you can't see my face. (laughs) You can't see exactly what's happening. You're just hearing my voice and I can pretend that I'm just fine. Yeah. Um, But I was able to tell her I am not doing well. I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like I'm coping very well. Something is just not right. And she, she heard those concerns and said, that's okay. This is, I'm hearing that from a lot of moms right now. It's okay. And you're going to, we're going to get you better. And so she was able to connect with my primary care physician. They're both in the same hospital network. They're actually on one floor apart from each other in the Mm -hmm. building that I see them at. She's Mm -hmm. on the third floor and my primary care physician's on the second. So all they had to do was call each other. She just had to say, hey, I think she has postpartum depression. They called me and got a telehealth appointment set up immediately for the next day. Oh, great. And so I was able to get in with them. And my primary care physician went over the anxiety and depression scale. And she's like, yep, you have (laughs) you Mm -hmm. have depression. Mm -hmm. She got me on an antidepressant. My therapist, I got an email from her office that they were going to teletherapy. And so I was able to get back on her schedule. Because obviously I still have a newborn, so I'm not going places. So, I mean, even in a pandemic, all of those pieces fell into place so that I was able to get better. Yeah. And And that's that's where I feel lucky. I mean, that doesn't happen. (laughs) Uh, Right. As you know now, right. It doesn't doesn't happen for a lot of Mm -hmm. people. There's so many people fall through the cracks or it's missed or providers don't know the right questions to ask or especially during the pandemic, they had them like the physicians themselves or the care providers themselves are like going through a, a massive change where they, they're dealing with the pandemic too and right. figure out how to do their job in it's totally new way. So a lot of people fell through the cracks. Right. So, I mean, and I was able, I mean, once, once the antidepressant hit therapeutic levels in my system, like I, I remember the day it happened still. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I was like, it feels like there's color in the world again. Like, yes. <laughs> It's like the light got turned back on. And I mean, none of those things took away the crying or the reflux or anything like that, but I felt more equipped to handle them. Mm-hmm. And I felt confident in myself again. And her colic went away around five and a half months. It just miraculously disappeared like colic does. I I have no explanation for that. It just disappeared <laughs> on its own. She did have reflux symptoms until she was a year old, but they got much better. And we were able to get her off the reflux medication at around a year old. And today she is the happiest, mm-hmm. most vivacious, hilarious little two and a half year old you'll ever meet. And I mean, being her mom is one of the greatest joys of my life, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel that way. Those first eight weeks of her life. But, right. Well, it's a long time to suffer. Yes. And I mean, I, at first I was afraid of being open about what it had, what I had been through. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, I'm open about my mental health. I had talked about my anxiety with my friends and family and on my social media channels. I had talked about my PTSD and going through a sexual assault survivors group and going into therapy for that. And I was afraid to admit that I had postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So if someone like me, who's open about her mental health and even considered myself something of a mental health advocate before, right. If I was afraid to say that I had postpartum depression, what about those parents that this is their first experience with a mental health disorder? Right. That really speaks to the depth and in, of the stigma yes. around uh, mental health and motherhood combined. Yes. So I remember I would I was posting pictures like, oh, look at her holding her head up and look at my cute squishy baby and look at this adorable, enor- enormous bow I stuck on her head. It's bigger mm-hmm. than her. And so I'm posting all these happy things and sharing all these pictures because, I mean, nobody saw her for the first three months of her life. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to share pictures with family members we would have had over to meet her in person. But couldn't do it because of the pandemic. And I'm sharing all of these happy, wonderful things. And in the inside, I just feel like I'm absolutely drowning. I felt like I was a burden to my husband because mm-hmm. I wasn't adjusting to motherhood the way I thought I should have. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was failing my daughter. I felt that I had made a mistake and that she would 
received the worst part of that because she hadn't asked to be brought into the world. That was a decision my husband and I made. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had made a mistake and that would last her entire life. Did anybody around you, aside from your husband, who could see that something was going on for you, did anybody else have a clue or were clued in at all? Could could they tell by looking? I think possibly my mom might have been able to tell mm-hmm. just from the things I was texting her. And I, when my husband first went back to work, I was just like, can you please come back? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can you please come back and stay with me that first Monday? He's gone. Like, please come back. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, she did come back. She came back that Monday and she was just like, I'm going to make you do everything. Like you have to do all the things, but I'm still going to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of like to prove to me, like you can't do it. But I think probably some alarm bells went off in her head when I was like, please come back. (laughs) Please don't leave me by myself. Please come back. (laughs) Right. So like nobody's seeing you crying in the shower. Nobody's you're in some way putting on whatever it is you need to put on for mm-hmm. other people, social media and, and whatnot. So yes, I think that's what is for lack of a better word, like fascinating about this perinatal mental health conditions is the the assumption that by other people that they'll be able to tell mm-hmm. that something's not going on and you could be suffering like the worst suffering you've felt and people mm-hmm. still can't tell necessarily right they're around you often enough like your partner or like that where they see you more in the, the in and out because you can you can pull it together to a certain extent for mm-hmm. a little a chunk of time yeah for um, those pediatrician visits for those visits mm-hmm. those family visits that come over that sort of thing you, oh how are you doing how are you sleeping oh everything's fine, fine. right yeah fine. <laughs> no everything oh. is not fine right no right <laughs> Yeah. And even with people who are describing somewhat of how they feel like, oh, I'm not sleeping or I don't feel so good to your point earlier, like you, it might be dismissed as, oh, that's all how all moms feel. Mm-hmm. You're, of course you're tired. You just had a baby or, oh, it's probably the baby blues and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And people aren't really into asking more questions. Right. Or reiterating like, are you really fine? Mm-hmm. And the more I've talked about it, the more I've had people my mother's age or people even my grandmother's age Mm -hmm. that they're like, I felt that way too, but I thought that's just what it was. This is just normal parenthood. This is what motherhood's supposed to be like. And no, that's, (laughs) I mean, it's hard. It's the hardest thing I have ever done, but you don't have to feel so horrible the whole time. No, no. But it's just like that feeling that women have. It's. I say just societally women for, for this part of what I'm saying, because of the, I don't know, long history, I guess, of ignoring uh, women's complaints and conditions Mm -hmm. and and what they're experiencing. We've all internalized this like feeling of that. You're supposed to be fine. I'm supposed to be okay. Or I'm supposed to be suffering. Suffering is part of the deal. Absolutely. And it even goes to physical health. I mean, how many times have you gone in seeing saying I'm having abdominal pain or I'm having blah. And they're like, oh, well, are you on your period? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a mess. You it's know, a that's, whole mess. that happens more than I like to hear from mm-hmm. people my age, people my mother's age, people who have older kids, they take take their kids in for something and they're like, mm, is she on her period? I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> like, can we ask more questions? <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, after you you'd gone through all of this and, and you, you mentioned eight weeks before, but like how, how long till you felt like back to yourself? Self? I would say I felt somewhat normal again, more capable around 10 weeks when that antidepressant kicked in and was in therapeutic levels in my system. And then I felt probably normal again around that five and a half months mark when the colic finally went away. Mm-hmm. And it felt like we could like, breathe a little bit more (laughs) because now she's, she's happy and she's Mm -hmm. smiling and she interacts with us and she plays and she's not crying all the time. And that did, that alone just did wonders for my mental health, just that I was able to enjoy interacting with my daughter instead of begging her to stop crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah. So I know now that you're very involved in Mm -hmm. advocacy and and whatnot. What what started that for you? Like what was the thing that after your experience that made you want to find ways to support others? I just felt called to do something more besides. And it was a lot of those reactions from women that I knew that they just thought that that was a normal part of motherhood was Mm -hmm. feeling that way Mm -hmm. and not realizing that, no, that is actually a treatable mental health condition. And just knowing that there are so many, so many parents out there that became parents during the pandemic or Mm -hmm. became parents again during the pandemic and slipped through the cracks. Mm -hmm. I know that anxiety and depression in new mothers skyrocketed during the pandemic. So I just felt called to do more. And I remember scrolling through Facebook and I saw a live, a Facebook live for the climb out of the darkness, Mm. which is one of postpartum support internationals programs. It's their largest fundraising program. And I was like, I could do that. It's like, I, I volunteer a lot. I'm in a service organization. I was heavily involved with the Alzheimer's Association's walk to end Alzheimer's before I had my daughter. Mm. I was on that that committee for Indianapolis for many years. And I stepped down because my daughter was born in February and that's right when their planning season kicks off. So I was like, mm. I probably can't I probably can't do that. And so I was like, I can do that. So I signed up to lead a climb and that um, I decided it would go towards the funds would go towards the Indiana chapter of Postpartum Support International. And that got me connected with the state chapter and my co-leader. Her name is Megan, and she is the fundraising chair for PSI Indiana. And we started, we came up with this idea that in addition to the walk component, we wanted to have local resources at our climb. We wanted to have mental health providers. We wanted to have chiropractors and doulas and all of these resources that are in the community that I didn't know about, that I wished I had known about. Mm -hmm. And so that got me involved with the climb that first year for Hamilton County, which is just north of Indianapolis, we raised over $10,000 for PSI Indiana. Yeah. That was amazing (laughs) for any year, but especially a first year. And yeah. And and in 2021, coming off the pandemic as well, it was one of the first big events during that time. She was like, we have an opening on the board of directors for social media chair. I think you should apply for it. And so I was like, okay. So I applied for it and they picked me. And so I do social media for PSI Indiana and just getting the word out that, that you can get better and that you're not alone. Because I remember feeling so validated just from hearing that I was not alone and I was not the only one that thought these things that had Mm -hmm. these thoughts that had these feelings from being around other people related to the the client. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm just learning that I wasn't the only one that thought those things that helped so much just to validate that I wasn't, I wasn't going crazy. (laughs) Of course. Yes. And just, and as I started to get more involved with that, I felt more called to share my story on a more widely ranging level. And that, that is how my, my blog and my Instagram beyond postpartum depression came to be was I, I was like, I'm, I'm, 
fairly decent at social media. I, I know how to build websites. I was like, I'm a writer. I work full-time for a software company that I do all the product documentation for them. So I write all of our user guides. I write mm-hmm. our installation instructions, all of our customer-facing documentation. And I have always, always loved writing. I've kept journals since I was pr- you know, old enough to write. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so I was like, I am at my heart, I am a writer. And I believe there is power in sharing our stories and letting people know they're not alone. And I remember when I was nap trapped because my daughter didn't nap by herself until she was 10 months old. (laughs) So there were, that's a very long time. So there were many, many hours spent in my nursery room rocking chair, (laughs) scrolling social media while she's asleep on me because there's nothing else to do. (laughs) And I, I remember, you know, those entering those first six weeks, six to eight weeks going through Instagram and hitting those hashtags, like, is this postpartum depression? Is this something? Is this real? Is what I'm feeling real? And if I feel like if I could be that one, even just to one mom, if I can be that voice that says, you're not alone, you know, I felt this way too. Yeah. And I got better, then that's worth it. For sure it is. It's a, you're being, being motivated by the pain of what you have felt is, is like nothing. Else, yes. Really. It's, it's such a deep motivation. Yes. And wanting other people to not have to suffer. It's, yes. So, right. You, you put your energy into a place where you could reach a lot of people. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea there was such a wide amount of people you could reach just through posting things on Instagram. <laughs> right. I have that account has over, almost over 1200 followers now. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Like, as you were saying before, the, that kind of feeling, needing and wanting to know and loving knowing that you're not alone. Obviously, you're not wanting other people to suffer, but there's a certain amount of like you search hashtags to be able to, to find other people that were going through it. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's what people are doing. They, they, they want to not feel alone. Mm-hmm. And social media has its downside. Oh, but, yeah. But when you can be validated in a way you just, by seeing somebody that you don't even know, who doesn't even know you, who's mm-hmm. speaking your truth and who's speaking your story to some degree, whatever degree, th- there's no way to deny that there is a truth to your experience. Yes, it's exactly. It's, it's out there. And how, how can this person be saying what you feel without it being a real thing? Right. How do they, they don't even know you. You don't even know them. And here it is. Right. It's powerful. And I remember looking too, like I I had myself convinced that I did not have postpartum depression because I didn't want to hurt myself and I didn't want to hurt my baby. So I was like, it can't be that because I I don't want to hurt myself. And actually going through hashtags, I was like, oh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. feeling like a burden, feeling numb, feeling like you're drowning. Like, oh, that actually is depression. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. But I mean that I had myself convinced that I didn't have it because I just didn't have enough knowledge that it's more than just feeling like you don't want to be here anymore or wanting to mm-hmm. hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. It's it's feeling numb. It's feeling rage. It's feeling like a burden. It's crying. It's hopelessness and shame and all those things I was feeling and didn't want to admit that I was feeling. Right, right. Yeah, there again, to your point, it's not the, what what is portrayed in the news and in media, it's, it's not, there, there are very few times you're going to see a true and real portrayal um, mm-hmm. or something that isn't so dramatized or misnamed even you know, yes. calling something postpartum depression that isn't or, right. or yeah. Anyways, there, there are all sorts of ways that we don't learn about this. So it's mm-hmm. hard to recognize. And definitely there are a lot of people who, who have that same feeling that it, it can't be that because I'm not, and I've heard it so many times because I am not hurting myself or I don't want to die or I do love my baby. And it, exactly it's like you, you can love your baby a whole lot and still be mm-hmm. really, really depressed and very, very anxious. Yep. It's, it's not one thing, right? They can both coexist. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 The 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 it's fact perfect. that you have depression or anxiety doesn't mean that you don't love your child. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. And, and sometimes that does get confused. And certainly there are like some really deep depressions uh, that do result in not wanting to like hold or be around mm-hmm. your child. But that is not because you're not a loving person or you don't care. It's just that 
the condition takes over. Right. So important for people to understand that this is a, a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. Depression, anxiety, all, all the things that can happen are so very real. And it doesn't mean anything about you. Right. A- and that's the hard person. That's the hard thing, too, is the symptoms. They don't feel like symptoms. They feel like who you are. Right. Like you feel like you are a bad mom or you are mm-hmm. failing or you did make a mistake. Like it feels very much like this is who you are as a person and not I'm depressed or I'm anxious. It it feels it feels like it's you. And that's a very hard place mm-hmm. to be in and hard to recognize that that's what's happening. Yeah, for sure. And one of the sort of symptoms of depression is is that your thoughts get so distorted in that way and in anxiety they get kind of twisted around. So you end up blaming yourself even more. Like right. The the being super hard on yourself is an indicator. Yes. I mean, certainly there are other things that could have <laughs> happened to you in your life that would make Absolutely. you hard on yourself, but that it's just what it does. It sort of twists reality to in that way, not in a delusional way, but just in a way that it's hard to tell that you're going through something. Yes. It's hard to see from, from the inside that you're Mm-hmm. You're experiencing this mental health complication and not his, I mean, my husband saw it from hundred yards away. He saw it mm-hmm. that very first week, that very first pediatrician appointment. Mm. He was just like, can you please text your therapist? There is something yeah. wrong. And I was yeah. like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the hormones. It's just the baby mm-hmm. blues. I'll be fine in like two weeks. Right. You know, and looking he- back on it now, do you, and I'm, I'm asking because I have had this experience myself. Do you, Looking back on it, do you think that there was some part of you that knew something was wrong? I think so. Mm-hmm. But it was, and I think that showed up in like scrolling through hashtags when I'm nap trapped or mm-hmm. Googling what does postpartum depression look like, things like that. That's where I think it was starting to show up. Mm-hmm. And even if I didn't want to admit it to myself, that's right. where it was appearing. Right, right. For sure. It's it's so hard because you don't want anything to be quote unquote wrong Right, going through something you want because it's supposed to be a happy time. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be bliss and snuggles, mm-hmm. and right. we want the fairy know, tale exactly. And when it doesn't match up with that, that hurts even more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it does. And and that's not to say that like some people, there are people who don't get depression specifically or anxiety specifically mm-hmm. and and have a fine transition into to parenthood, and that's great. But it doesn't also mean that they are not stressed. Oh, yeah. At times. It's just, it's like, again, the portrayal and the lack of information would have people believing like either you're in bliss mode or you're losing your self, your S. Exactly. You're, <laughs> you're, you're losing it all. But there's so much in between. For sure. For sure. So, okay. So you, going back to the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, you are on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Mm -hmm. beyond PPD, you're doing work for PSI Indiana, doing social, Mm -hmm. doing climbs. You're really in there as an advocate. Yes. (laughs) And I actually do part-time social media for postpartum support international as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I covered maternity leave for their social media manager. And then when she came back, they were like, do you just want to stay? Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) So I I do part-time social media for them as well. And it's Mm -hmm. just I mean, it brings me, it helps me heal. It's very healing to be able to mm-hmm. do that and to raise awareness and to advocate for other parents. Right. I feel like it gives meaning to what I went through during those first eight weeks that, yes, it was very hard and I did suffer, but look what I was able to bring out of it. Right, right. Absolutely. Helping other people to get to the help that they need or at mm-hmm. least not suffer as long. I mean, any in any way. And it takes all of us who who get it to be yes. reaching out, who have the capacity and want to, obviously. Yeah. But all avenues, all the time. <laughs> Let's get the, <laughs> get the word out. I'm so glad you're sure. a really big part of that. Thank awesome. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I, well, I thank you so much for coming on to share your story. I know there are a lot of people who can identify with what you went through and mm-hmm. hopefully can feel that validation. As thank well. you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Please find Courtney at beyondpostpartumdepression.com, also on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond PPD. You can also learn more about PSI Indiana at PSI underscore Indiana or at Climeout underscore Hamilton County 
where Courtney has been leading the climb. As usual, please do share this episode. We need to be getting this information out there and let people know that they're not alone. I thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.